Momentum Volleyball is the online Canadian hub for volleyball storytelling, reporting, and event coverage, allowing content creators to connect with fans, coaches, and players. Momentum is the hub for athletes, coaches, and fans to find free and paid volleyball content, and we are proud to be the voice of Canadian volleyball around the world. Head to MomentumVolleyball.ca to subscribe for free and get access to exclusive content and all your Canadian volleyball updates. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Times. Really excited for today's guest. He made his debut with the Passing Times franchise on a show called Sharp Cuts, and I'm hoping he can bring the same energy, but uh, the spotlight's all on him for this one. So today's guest played for the North- Northumberland excuse me, Breakers. Growing up, he was with Team Ontario, represented Team Ontario at Canada Games, and won the prestigious Ken Davies Award. He went on to play at Queen's University, where he's an OUA champion. He played professionally in Austria and Luxembourg. He coached at Trenton University, and now he's out in California coaching for Academy Volleyball Club. Please welcome to the show, Tyler Shearhorn. Tyler, thanks for doing this, man. Hey, no problem. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. So I think your your family's name is probably well-earned, obviously, with like your brother played post-secondary, your sister played post-secondary, you played post-secondary, now you're coaching as a living. So just for me and the listeners, take it from the top. What was it like growing up in that house? Are your, are your parents volleyball people? How did it turn into a volleyball family that we all just hear your names and you're like, yeah, I've seen them play? Yeah, I guess it, it's funny. My mom, I remember when we were trying out for all the teams in elementary school, her thing was you have to try out for every sport and every team, right? And if you make it, you commit, you do all that stuff. She just wanted us in every sport. And so we were playing everything, basketball, like my three younger siblings all played hockey. And um, so, yeah, we got into volleyball. It would have been, I guess, you know, normal age when you're in elementary school, grade five and uh, I wasn't any good, but uh, our team had success and it was fun. And, uh, you know, I was just a tall guy, just tipping the ball <laughs> every time it came to me. And then it was around grade nine, my high school coach asked me and all the other guys, not just me, but, uh, to try out for a club team. And I really wanted to do it. I really wanted to. And anyways, long story short, tried out, went there. My siblings came to every tournament because we did everything as a family. And so my brother was like, okay, I need to play. I need to, too. And then he tried out both sisters because we're all like two years apart. So it just trickled down. And then all of a sudden we were going to, we were either playing on the same teams or club tournaments every other weekend and or every weekend it felt like. But it was funny because my parents, like they didn't force the volleyball uh, whole thing on us because they both went to uh, Redeemer College and Redeemer University in Hamilton. And uh, I found out later, after I started getting better at volleyball, that my mom was really, really great. And that uh, she didn't play club or anything, but she just, you know, went to her university and just was a standout as a rookie. And just like, just because she was athletic and my dad was an athlete, he played on the, you know, volleyball team, soccer team, everything back then. And uh, they just wanted us to be in sports. I don't think they really, I haven't even asked them, but I don't like think they were, uh, needed it to be volleyball they would have loved anything that was entertaining and as long as we loved it but the fact that i guess i chose volleyball and then i again the three younger siblings just followed suit i guess we were just uh you know made for it but it wasn't you know forced upon us which is kind of i think why we all love it so much because it felt like we all got to choose it which is a, a really cool thing yeah, that's that's really cool to hear. And then I think anyone from Ontario would recognize that you growing up uh, like east of Toronto, but in that Coburg area, that the beach scene is really good there. Like I, I'm going to 
not name names here, but uh, I'll, uh, excuse me, I'll forget some people, but like Gord Lay and I think the community there, they did some good things and, you know, they were running beach clubs. They made it a point to get it on the OVA beach tour. So I think like two or three events were there kind of annually. So h- how soon did beach become a thing? Because if I remember correctly, you and your brother were partners for a couple seasons there, right? Yeah. It, like I started, so that would have been my 15 year season. So I did that indoor. And then after that, my parents were like, no volleyball in the summer. You have to get a part-time job and work and earn. And then I was like, come on, please, please, can I play some beach? And, you know, they said no that first summer. But then the next summer, I was like, please, please, can we play some uh, beach volleyball? Because we just wanted to play every day, all day, you know, 365 days a year. And uh, Coburg, so the Northumberland Breakers, that indoor team I was playing for, they really, we didn't have many tall guys or anything like that on the indoor side, but they all had, you know, that ball control and stuff. And you could tell, and I found out it was because they were playing beach in the summers. And obviously, you know that beach volleyball is amazing for the all-around skill development. So that's the reason, like, maybe some of those teams that we were on, uh, we had no business being uh, maybe a good uh, team or better than we were doing. But because we played beach in the summers, it was awesome. And so I started when I was, I guess, 16U would be the first time I went onto the beach and played in the you know, a youth open tournament as a 16. And I was just like, what is this? This is madness. But I had some older guys, my partner, and, you know, we had a lot of fun, great success at that tournament. Kind of got hooked from there, but it just was, beach volleyball was really fun because you got to control the ball and it helped all around skills because as a tall, awkward grade nine kid, I was just kind of put in the middle and then beach volleyball allowed me to get better at all those skills to, you know, further on play right side as a professional and stuff. And, yeah, awesome. And then speaking of the beach volleyball at the uh, in you know grade ten, I guess sixteen year year, I wasn't like that that great in my opinion. But Ward Lay, the name that you said before, he was like, "You should be coaching." Uh, and I'm like, "I don't even know the rules in beach volleyball. How can I be coaching?" <laughs> and uh, anyways, he's like, "Well, you know, you make a little bit of money and you get to be on the beach longer." And but the best thing that happened there was I had to learn very quickly because I hate being you know, not that I have to be the smartest person in the room. I definitely am not that in most cases, but I need to at least know what's going on. And so I'm coaching these athletes that might be a year younger than me, but playing beach for like four years at that point. And I'm like, I don't like not knowing anything. So it really stepped up my game and just volleyball because at 16 years old, I'm learning how to coach people that know more than me. And I didn't like that. So I was learning volleyball on the fly and I think that led to also being a higher volleyball IQ on the court as well uh, as a player. That's awesome. And did that help settle the, the, the small conflict you're having in the house about them saying you got to get a summer job and you're like, I do have a summer job. I coach a little bit. I play a little bit. <laughs> exactly. I was, that's and the parents were very, very happy when there was a little bit of maybe some income coming from uh, volleyball. But uh, I think as we were living in, uh, we're living in Belleville and it's a bit of a drive and, you know, there's lots of trades back home I could have been doing or whatever, but uh, they were just happy that they didn't want me to take it for granted. They didn't want me to just be like, okay, you automatically get signed up. And it's, uh, you know, parents, parents work very hard to sign up their youth. And now being here in California, you see how much it can cost to play a youth sport. So uh, I'm always super appreciative of them. And, uh, but yeah, kids, uh, if we can, you know, do some part-time coaching, help out your clubs at the same time, that's a, uh, makes you a better athlete, make a little cash, and, uh, you know, a little bit more respect as well. It's great. 
Nice. And then at what point did you kind of enter the, not the club is in high performance, don't get me wrong, like you guys were always very competitive, but uh, the, the more formal high performance stuff. So going to an indoor Team Ontario tryout or, or playing at a higher level, like, or even having the, the chance to play ca- like Canada games. When did you kind of make those decisions? Were you, you were approached by a coach? Did you go to an open tryout? Like what was the format for you to represent the province? Yeah, I, so again, that year, so that, I guess, grade tenure, I feel like that's when I took a leap like that's when I learned you know it started to click like hitting and everything so I was like okay like actually maybe I am better than I think and I really wanted to push myself and see okay like what's the what's the next level because guys were talking about these regional games and uh, the year before and I couldn't be a part of it because of uh, you know working the part-time job and I was like Man, I want to I want to do that stuff so like what's the next thing what's everyone doing this year and there was a uh, open tryout to go to this high performance center uh, which is basically a week-long thing that allows you to try out for team ontario and so i'm going to the open gym and there's like so many people like hundreds uh it felt like as a kid and you got there's first year university guys and i'm like just finished my 16 u season thinking what the and uh anyways that it went well i i didn't even know i felt like we didn't get that many reps because there's so many people and i'm like i don't know what's happening and Anyways, you get the email saying you made it, so you got to go to the High Performance Center. And that's my deer in headlights moment because that's when we're going, you know, there's a guy named like TJ Sanders who's <laughs> there, and they're telling, they put me in the middle because I, at that time, I didn't know what position I was playing because at Breakers, we played uh, set the tall guy, and <laughs> that was our system. And then all of a sudden, they're telling me, okay, we're going to do a 51, then a 31, then a 60. And I'm looking at them like, so... Like you said it and I'll go and hit it. And they're like, what are you talking about? And I'm so embarrassed because I'm like, system, offensive systems, what's going on? And I guess that's was the first time I was in high performance when you got universe, like, you know, uh, some Phil James and TJ Sanders, Jeremy Lordy, and I'm in line with these guys trying to hit. And I've only ever run a meter ball. I don't know any type of offensive system. And, uh, I was like, you know, eyes wide open. And then they had like, you know, Paul Durden came in, was a guest speaker and they talked and they're talking about it, like stretching and all that stuff. I'm like, what is, this is amazing. I don't know any, and I'm writing notes. Like, uh, I guess I didn't have a phone back then. So I was just writing in my notepad, like crazy. And I remember going back in the summer to the beach for the breakers and being like, look at this stuff. This is what like volleyball is. We can learn all this and try it. And everyone's fired up. They're like, Oh, we can run like, shoots to the middle and stuff and it was crazy like to think at most you know if athletes are in high performance they get that all the time and they understand and but uh you know being from a small town we were just set the tall guy we didn't know the system i mean we were good at you know float serving and that was kind of our thing but uh yeah yeah i think that might answer your question about the whole when did high performance start but it was gear and headlights i was not uh (laughs) maybe a traditional path for people. I was a little bit overwhelmed, but somehow I made the Team Ontario team that year and was lucky enough to be a part of it again and was just a sponge wanting to learn. That's so cool to hear your journey there because I think everybody who saw you play at post-secondary, we, we just all assumed that you had your act together your whole career, but there definitely was some learning going on, which is great to hear. Uh, so t- take me through Canada Games. And the reason I want to bring that up is 
I think your cycle, or maybe there was one more after, but you guys were maybe the last stage of the older group. Because now I think it's like an 18U tournament and they've moved it down where the club athletes are trying out with university athletes, which was your experience at HPC. But just take me through that tryout phase because I think, do you played for Chung, right? Jeff Chung would have been the head coach yep. of your yep. year. So yeah, just take me through that experience of how, how challenging and grueling a Canada game cycle can be and what trying out for that squad was. Yeah, that was a crazy experience and like I loved it. It was again more volleyball, more better, right? But it was definitely different because now it's like you said, it's the eighteen U, so they're younger. And at that time we all the guys on the team, except for I think one in uh, Brandon Coppers was a university athlete. So we were, you know, we had third year university students, second year and so forth. And it was uh like it was high level volleyball, but yeah, you went to this Canada games and most of the sports and competitions other than the volleyball teams are younger age groups. Right. So it was a bit, it was really cool to be a part of like the, you know, the athletes village. This one was in Sherbrooke, Quebec. And, um, but yeah, we were definitely a team on a mission that whole summer was just, we were at Nipissing in North Bay and we were just training, you know, twice a day, uh, what felt like every day and definitely a grueling process, but, uh, awesome opportunity to get to work with because like some of those guys are your you know very very close friends in uh, the university circuit so like a lot of the guys you know i went to queens there's a bunch of guys from mcmaster or ryerson or uh, other you know good universities and it was really really fun to be able to compete with them on a you know, day in day out and then just go right back into your uh, university season what seemed like you know a couple weeks after canada games and you just yeah, it made the level of competition. Every time you played them, it was like you're playing your buddies, but you really wanted to go at them. And that was, that was awesome. It was it was a great experience, and I absolutely loved, you know, trainings were tough at times. Like, it felt like we always had a few injuries because guys were working so hard and pushing so much. But, uh, yeah, what an experience. That was fun. And I know, obviously, when we start talking about university, maybe that's when the pro thing clicked for you. But uh, I remember that cycle being pretty special in the sense that uh, the OVA did a great job coordinating. And when you say you were at Nipissing, I, I seem to remember the junior national team also played you guys in a couple of games. I think Quebec's provincial team came over. So not only were you guys training, but you're also playing like these these they weren't exhibition matches. You're playing these pre-tournament games matches against like top teams. And I, I just think playing against that caliber where junior national team, uh, Quebec, and maybe there was somebody else there, but it just felt like there was good games going on uh, that, that week that everybody kind of landed. So just take me through that experience where you're, you're training and you're trying to like get over your own system, but then you're going to be like against Alex Russell on the junior national team on a, on a court that night playing a game. Right. Oh, that like, I remember that week's just like, that was one of the most anticipated things because you have to understand the background of it was a bunch of the guys. So it was, uh, I think team Quebec, team Alberta, team Ontario, and the junior national team. So you're talking like three of the top, you know, four teams in uh, the country for our provincial teams. And so they have, you know, the a couple of the older age group and then the junior national team cycle, which is the same age group competing against each other. And when that happened, a lot of those guys on those provincial teams were, I don't want to say they were all snubbed because, you know, they made great decisions. And a lot of the athletes that were on the junior national team were uh, phenomenal. But, uh, you know, every athlete has an ego. So if you don't make a team, you want to beat that team and show those coaches that you uh, you deserve to be on that team because everyone feels like you had a, you know, a good tryout and you're confident. So we had a bunch of those guys on 
uh, Team Ontario. I know there was a bunch on, for example, like a Brett Walsh wasn't on the team and he's playing for Team Alberta. So, you know, he's going in hungry. And but then on our team as well, we had a bunch of guys that were like, hey, we were right there. Why didn't you take us on the junior national team? So that week of preparation was awesome. So it was like you, it almost felt like your own, you know, your own championship in a sense compared to the Canada games where you just wanted to beat these guys that were on this team because, you know, supposedly they're better than you. And uh, it was really, really fun. I know for, from Team Ontario perspective, we uh, really honed in those games because we wanted to, you know, prove that all the hard work we're doing at Nipissing and, you know, putting our bodies through the ringers, uh, it just was worth it. And then we were lucky. We, you know, won all those exhibition matches and had a great time. And um, yeah, but people, that was some of the higher level energy and motivation uh, I've seen from a very elite squad of guys. And all the teams played uh, great at that tournament, but um, yeah, a lot of fun. Nice. And then uh, take me into Canada Games. And specifically, we recently had uh, Nick Hogue on the show. And just with the tournament being in Sherbrooke, with Quebec being so strong, and don't get me wrong, Nick wasn't the only guy on that team, but he definitely like popped off in a few key matches. So just kind of zero in on that that semifinal where you're playing the host province, and that that's a big game. And, and man, what a match oh, yeah. that was. Yeah, that. Yeah, you can't forget that game. Uh, although from an Ontario perspective, we want to forget it because... <laughs> Yeah, it was, and you say it like this, there was other good guys on that Quebec team for sure, uh, but Nick Hogue was on another level. And that just went to show, like we knew, because the year before Team Ontario, uh, we beat Quebec in the finals and it was a awesome battle. We had a great time. Uh, some of our guys really, we stepped up for that game specifically and were able to, I don't want to say contain Nick Hogue because I don't think you ever, you know, <laughs> you don't stop him for sure, but we tried our best to contain and. Uh, ended up getting the win the year before, but then at the Canada Games, in their house, uh, it was really it was one of the only a few times in my career was it you know so loud that when I went back to the service line, you could like feel the ball kind of like vibrating, like it was awesome. Like the French crowd was just amazing cheering for them, and uh, we really believed like we were the better team, all this stuff, but it went down to the wire and it went. It was 10-10 uh, in the fifth set, 10-10, to and Nick Hogue goes to the back line. And if I remember correctly, he rattled off four amazing aces, and then we got a two-pass, and we got blocked on the last point to lose the match 15-10 in a fifth set. And it was just not – and I'm not – you know, tripping our own team. Like, I was obviously <laughs> – I'm in the front row as the middle watching this unfold, being like – you know, obviously the most positive I can be, but, you know, we have amazing reception players in the back row and Nick is just on a different level at that time. And it was uh, phenomenal, like obviously receiving end. So not that great at the time, uh, especially when, you know, our motto was, you know, uh, gold or nothing and uh, losing the semifinal was heartbreaking for us. But yeah, Nick was, that was some awesome serving. And uh, now you see it. And you see it at the highest level and you see him, you know, whether it's the Olympics or his uh, pro teams and you see a serve and you're like, okay, it's not, it's not that bad that it happened uh, for <laughs> us, but he's, uh, he's pretty good, I guess. But it was, that was something to witness and for him to be able to do it with the momentum of the crowd and, you know, that plays in the sport. But that's one of the reasons we love sports because, you know, we might've been the better team on paper in every other position, et cetera, but 
at the end of the day, like sometimes you just get a nice little run, a little momentum, and you can get the upset. And uh, that's what Quebec uh, proceeded to do. Yeah, and just to, to kind of pull on that for a second, now that you're you're big time into coaching and athlete development, like when you look back on that moment and, and rightfully so, Team Ontario gold or nothing, and you worked all summer, and like you said, you're doing well in National Team Challenge Cups, you're doing well in exhibition matches, you, you lose the semifinal. Do you remember what your own emotions were? Do you remember how the team felt? Like you, you still got a bronze medal match to play, but like what's what does the team environment feel? How are you feeling? Like was there almost like it was hard to switch on again for that bronze medal match? Like how as an athlete and now looking back as a coach, would you like handle those moments? Yeah, really, oh, really great question. Because yeah, when all the guys are saying that on the team, because you know we won the last season's uh you know the ntcc is what it was called the year before canada cup and then to go into this one it was excruciatingly tough like i know like when we went back to the room like guys were tearing including myself uh were tearing up because it was like oh that we can't achieve what we want to achieve and uh i think the coaches did a great job in giving the guys space and stuff because um sometimes coaches i think they try too hard to try and say stuff and at the time after hard losses and i think all coaches have to learn this but like they're not there's not much being received at that point you can say like a sentence or two and then say like hey, this is what we're meeting for next time and talk about game plan etc but you do need to give time because processing is so important for an athlete to try and get over something but uh, we obviously uh now looking back we didn't do a good job as athletes to be able to bounce back like it felt like the tournament was over um and i think as athletes we could have done a better job maybe even had just a you know players only meeting or something like that the next morning or something to get fired up for that bronze medal game but it just felt like oh what's the you know and you're saying all the right things you're trying to you're making this artificial energy and you're trying to like you know you're supposed to win that bronze medal game you already beat that team easily in the pool play but you just you don't have it you don't have that and the other team's hungry right the other team's fired up they're like oh you know i'm sure i haven't talked to them but i'm sure you know bc in this case was uh fired up for uh you know smelling blood in the water with you know a wounded team ontario coming off of a to us was a devastating loss and upset and it, uh, but yeah, as a coaching staff, I think that's just a really tough place to be because, you know, if, if it just goes one, let's say Nick misses his first serve, we win the first, that fifth set, then, you know, that motto and all that stuff, all like, it comes to fruition. Like, it's amazing. Obviously, we have the team Alberta, which was a great team as well, but uh, you give yourself the chance in the final and yeah, just a really, really, I guess, tough situation i think as for any coach or any athlete because you build so because you know you don't have team ontario ever again right that's the other thing like it's it's donezo uh it's it's over like after that you have your university and pro careers which still are amazing but uh, it's a chapter that's it's gone and for me like i was lucky enough to play for four years in a row uh and just to have it end like that was you know to the wind of your sails Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And just to, to jump one step back, uh, 
recruiting, I, I think is always an interesting one because I think uh, young listeners would be like, oh, like I, I was sending game tape in, in the 10th grade where it sounds like you weren't serious about volleyball till the 10th grade at one point, right? So uh, what was kind of your process in terms of either coaches approaching you or you kind of setting a destination or or even in grade 12, did you kind of, is that when you committed or were you a grade 11 guy? Like just take me through your process of how you landed on Queens and, and how old you were when you made that decision. Yeah, I so in grade 10, I guess when I was making that stuff, I went to that HPC and learning about universities and what universities had, which players, and which ones were doing well, and then figuring out programs, you know, with your guidance counselor in high school. I think, you know, it's it's funny being down here now, too, because I'm hearing like the vibe, especially for girls volleyball is like, it's so young that the recruitment is happening and everything. But like, at the end of the day, like, if you're a good athlete, like sometimes people get missed. and sometimes you I guess it's not a fairy tale because it does happen but it is very few and far between that get like you know multiple coaches coming up to them giving the offers and stuff like that like it's so important for athletes to reach out like for example um like for I was interested in two schools were my top schools I really wanted uh, Queens University was my number one and my number two was Trinity Western University and for Trinity Western I like I just emailed uh, Ben Joe I, at the time. I really didn't know much about the volleyball scene. And and then he said he was going to be down at Queens for an invitational tournament. He'll come watch our tournaments. And, but he, you know, he's never recruited Ontario guys. So it's tough and all this kind of spiel. And then anyways, he was uh, interested and was going through that process, but it all started because I sent a random email in, you know, probably during class when I should have been doing uh, something else. But uh <laughs> I was so head over heels with volleyball that I think it's just important for athletes to realize, like, send the emails, send the emails, send the game game tape that you can, but don't think like, ah, I'm in grade 11 or 12, like, it's probably too, no, it's not too late, like, send, like, yeah, for example, I think that, I'm trying to think, that email would have been sent in, I want to say that was the grade 12 years, so, like, this is happening in the recruiting, there was some before, but, like, you know, a little bit there, a little bit here, but, uh, the major stuff that I was doing was in grade 12. And then I hear about, you know, my own teammates that either played like team Canada or something. Like some of them picked up volleyball in grade 12 and uh, you hear about all those success stories. So I, I just, it feels sad when athletes talk about like, ah, oh, you know, it's a little late now. It's like, no, try it. Like, how do you know if you don't try it? And coaches, <laughs> if you're a good athlete and good attitude and work hard, coaches see football. Sorry big coaches see potential right so like they're gonna see it they want it and they'll recruit you yeah and and, and i think the it's great to hear that like benjo was like at that time not recruiting ontario because now i think people see trinity and they they recruit the country really well where with me being just a a lowly coach at a a college here in toronto at george brown i always thought it was easier if a kid reached out because then one when i walk into ontario championships and there's 14 courts going i can know okay that kid's interested in george brown they want to study this like you get a second look just by making that contact versus like just flip it and think from the coach's perspective you're you're walking in and you're just going to watch all these courts and you're going to pick out oh there's tyler i think he's interested in my school like at random versus like if you make that first contact you automatically get a second look from that coach and that's all it really takes right so uh, i just think little things like that are, are great advice for the listeners but uh for for your process uh, i just actually looked it up uh i didn't realize you were right in that era where um 
Uh, I think when people think the OUA, now it's Queens, and then Mac just had their run. But when you went to Queens, it was kind of like Queens, Mac, Mac, Queens, Queens. Like the championship just kind of went back and forth. So did you feel like when you landed on Queens campus, like you inherited this rivalry that there was a lot of back and forth going on between like uh, people just a touch older than you? So it would have been like the Groenveld era at McMaster, and then it would have been like... Uh, Joran Zeman and, and uh, Amoroso and those guys at Queens O'Neill, like all those guys. Did you did you inherit that rivalry just because of the battles these two schools have had in men's volleyball? Friend of the show and Team Canada Beach Volleyball athlete Grant O'Gorman has teamed up with Movember to help raise awareness for testicular cancer and men's health. Check out our show notes to get a link to Grant's page and donate today. Movember, whatever you grow, will save a bro. I, I think there was a two-parter for me i think naturally yes because like you said i think the four or five championships before were just back and forth between queens and mac um and i think so you naturally have that but then also for me like one of my uh closest friends in volleyball uh alex elliott who i played a year of breakers with and three years of team ontario with like he also he was the middle that committed to uh, McMaster. I was the middle that committed to Queens. So I just had a personal one as well. And then all of a sudden, you know, start playing Team Ontario, and then all of a sudden it's like guys are going to Queens and Mac, and it was like so you already had it from your club system, and it just like <laughs> continued over into uh, uh, university. And I guess so. It's I guess twofold. We inherited it because we learned under those uh, older guys that had establish the legacy uh, between the two schools and mind you the legacies are far before that but uh, not in our obviously recent you know as a 17 or 18 year old going in you're not thinking uh, you know 20 year old history and stuff you're thinking what happened last year some cases what happened yesterday but uh, yeah it was yeah the again those two schools are uh, definitely storied and they continue to put out a great product and uh, it's just awesome to see and it was awesome also to be a part of obviously i wish that uh you know we could have been on the other end of more championships at my time at queens but that mcmaster team was phenomenal they had a those amazing recruiting classes and they continue to you know push through and uh did a great job so the the year you guys took it down uh tough to say do do you remember but i'm hoping maybe you do because it's interesting to hear about your Canada Games year where it was gold or nothing. And I'm curious, the, just the length of a university season, but being at a school like Queen's, was it on the whiteboard that it was gold or nothing? Or was it more like process driven that you're like, oh, if we can get to Final Four, we're going to have a chance? Like, how did your team like to think about goals? Like, what was it talked about from day one? This is a team that's going to go to nationals and compete? Or was it a team that was just kind of feeling out the league and saying like, you know, we, we got something special here? Or, or really, did you guys come out of nowhere? Like, I'm just curious when you guys won it, uh, what was kind of the goal setting or the team building? going on in that season yeah we had uh, an awesome sports psychologist come in this is my first year and in that season we were hosting nationals so we automatically had a berth and i really really liked the theme we came up with uh during our team bonding and sports psychology lessons we came up with a theme and that theme was earn not given and we it really you know resonated with our team because we wanted to is we went to now, even if we, I'm pretty sure if you come like last place in the league, you still get to go to the, the nationals and, um, you know, maybe not the best way to do it, but we wanted to earn it. And in that time it was the first seed gets to go to, uh, the nationals. And then because we were hosting also the, uh, second seed and 
in that case, we wanted to win the OU, OUAs uh, so badly. And that's what we were training for and working for. And we weren't the number one seed going in. For example, the final four was played at Western. Western was actually the top team that year. They had a great regular season. Um, and we had to play McMaster in that semifinal. And especially the vets on the team, they really, like, and specifically, like, Joran Zeman for just when push came to shove, because we were losing, uh, if I remember correctly, we were losing the quarterfinal before Final Fours. We're playing Guelph, a team that uh, played really well against us in the regular season. And we were down, if I remember correctly again, down two sets uh, to them. So, like, we were going to lose in the quarterfinal and just get to go to nationals. Or, and then obviously uh, the guy stepped up, and I remember Jordan Zeman just absolutely crushing it. And we win that, and then we go to the final four. We beat McMaster in the semis. We beat Western in the finals, and we get that uh, first place berth to play Alberta in the quarterfinal. And uh, yeah, it just but those sports psychology sessions I really think played a part because the guys were so bought into like, no, it's not good enough just to go to nationals because we're hosting. We're earning it, and I, it was a fun process to be a part of and to learn from and grow and. Uh, be a part of it was just yeah it was great it was really really great and then the years after that i think you had to put your expectations like the next year we were basically all second years starting because we had a good recruiting class in that part and it uh so obviously you're not going like a championship or bust because a lot of these guys are getting you know some of the guys are getting major playing time for the first time and we, i think uh brenda willis the head coach did a great job of uh having those meetings and saying okay what are our goals what are we trying to achieve what is a good amount for us and uh i think that setting it with the team and having a team buy-in is the best way to do it it's the same that i do with my club teams like we're gonna we sit down at the beginning of the season and it's not me just telling them okay that's what we're doing these are the goals let's do it they have to also be creating them and buying in or else <laughs> it's just a coach preaching right and uh we're probably not going to have a successful team that way if it's that yeah definitely and I'm, I'm curious even with the dynamics of a university team where as a first year, did you feel comfortable enough to speak up or, or when they just kind of announced it or somebody says like, oh, I'd like to, the concept of like, like we earn it, not given, like, did you just kind of go along with it or, or how was the culture at Queens? Like as a first year, did you feel like you could speak up or you're just there kind of along for the ride because you entered with a lot of strong vets and then you kind of had to make the quick turnaround where you had to be a guy in your second year, like you said. So uh, I'm just curious with the team dynamic at universities, how you would kind of give advice or look back on your own experience as a, as a first year and contributing to this, this autonomy and goal setting that Queens had? I think the Team Ontario actually created a really nice kind of bridge between the two because it was those, you know, uh, older clubs slash younger university years. So you felt like you were a leader in those groups. And during your university time, even though maybe uh, like a fifth year is much different than a second year, for example. And I think that bridge between the two really helped us have uh, leadership for example, at Queens because of the Team Ontario experience. But the part about, you know, like, did I just go along with the earn, not given? I think specifically, I guess my personality, English, <laughs> my personality type, uh, I'm a very confident person. So, like, for those meetings, I just want to get better. So I would speak up. Like, for example, I remember specifically saying uh, <laughs> one sentence that got a chuckle from some of the vets. I was like, you know, I feel like sometimes in practice we're like, we need to give, you know, give, give, give more, but then 
sometimes we're just take, take, take. Like we're not going in trying to make everyone better. We're going in for our own reps and getting out. And, you know, obviously with the, uh, for some reason I decided to repeat all the words like five times and, uh, got a little chuckle, but it was like me just speaking up because that's the way I felt. And I think every athlete has to know that it's good to speak up. Like coaches want to hear your opinions because they can't read your mind. And when you do, obviously you have to do it in a healthy way and you don't ever want to call like, you know, individuals out specifically or say something that's uh, demeaning, but you need to speak because if you're just going to be a wallflower the entire time, that's not going to allow you to grow and be better. So I think, especially that sports psychologist really encouraged it. Like, Hey rookies, like, what do you think? And that's, what do you like? It was a good dynamic in the sense of, or a good atmosphere that they created to allow us all to speak and just have a good time. It was good. Nice. Nice. And I know we have a, a lot to cover because you've accomplished so much. So I'm going to just leapfrog ahead of here a little bit, but as you're graduating, what was the role of finding an agent and how did you get that first contract? Because I think your resume is obviously very strong. Like you're a team Ontario guy. You want to know UA championship. Uh, you, you had some chances with like the junior national team. So for you to get a pro contract, what, do you think it was like an easy process or was it all brand new and, and the agent really kind of drove the bus for you? Like how did you, how did you land that first deal in Austria? Yeah. My fifth year at Queens, I was, already thinking that's like because i had set the goal of playing pro when i was 13 so as soon as i found out about there was a concept of like i didn't know i just wrote it down in a journal because you're supposed to write your goals down in i think grade seven it was and uh or grade eight and i had a cousin that was you know uh aspirations are playing pro so i was like okay cool like that's uh i'm i'm gonna do that but then you know it became a lot more reality in my fifth year when i'm like oh crap like i need to i need to go find like do they find me i find them like what's the what's the process here is this like recruiting all like uh grade 12 all over again when you're doing the recruiting thing and anyway so i messaged a few and then a few messaged me and i got uh so then i had to pick and choose and you kind of talk to the canadian guys that you know are already with them and if there are none with them then you got to just ask a lot of questions and i ended up uh picking a guy who just Facebook messaged me. He was just like, Hey, watching your, uh, you had a great game. I think it was the game against McMaster and, uh, I played really well. And he's like, Hey, you've had a great game. Like, uh, are you interested in playing after blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yes, I very much am. And we just continued to talk. And then, you know, you sign the paperwork saying that they're your agent. They're going to represent you. Um, and I think that's another thing for athletes. Like, you don't have to wait for them to come to you. Like I was messaging other agencies at that time being like, Hey, I'm interested in playing pro. Here's my profile. And you just put together some highlights. You put together, you know, a word doc that basically just has a, all your accolades from your entire career, you know, hitting percentages, et cetera. And then the agent just goes to work. But I think that's actually the time when I talk to athletes that are aspiring to play pro, I talk about that time period the most because it's, it can be very stressful because often people think they'll talk about like the, you know, Shawans and those guys who are a team and they know their contract situation already by April, like their season's just ending their pro season and they already got it figured out. Whereas like most guys first years and even some guys that are on a teams, like on the a team or high level B team, they're waiting and it's just a waiting game and they might get an offer, but it's not, you know what they're thinking. And some people just, aren't getting offers. Uh, and that's a, that's when you really have to dig deep and find out who you are and like 
do I really want this or do I just want to go over and travel for a year? Like what, what am I, what am I doing here? And it's those months, you know, it's the June, the July, and then maybe in August you're getting your first offer and you get an offer and you have to fly out three days later because training camp starts. It's, I think in those months that you're like, <laughs> you have to have trust in your agent that you pick that uh, they can find something for you. And I was very lucky that my agent was awesome and, uh, or is awesome. And, uh, just was able to find me contracts that fit me very well and uh, answered like sometimes with agents I hear that they don't talk that much to their players um, which for me I think not that I'm a stressy person but I think that would stress me out just you know radio silence being like oh my and you hear it all the time and I guess that's just really sad but my agent was great I could whatsapp him or text him any any day and I'd have a response that day of the new situation what's happening help me through the process and because uh, it can be very overwhelming. So I got very lucky with that. Yeah. And then take me into, so you start in Austria, but then you go to Luxembourg. And the one thing that caught my eye on your, your Volleybox account is you're a player, but you're also listed as a trainee coach. So were you working with, uh, just for our listeners, like I think sometimes in Europe, the club either runs a youth club or they have a second tier division. Like who were you coaching and how did that opportunity come together that you would be like a, a senior player for the club, but you were also a coach for the club as well? Yeah. So, and this one's even weirder because I was playing for a club called Chev de Kirsch um, and they were up in the north uh, end of the country, but I was actually living in the city. So I was living in Luxembourg city, which is in the south end. And I wanted to coach because coaching was and is a love and passion of mine. But one of our uh, clubs there was called the Volleyball Club Bel Air. And I asked my club, I was like, hey, I would love to coach your you know, youth teams and stuff if uh, you let me. But it's too much, like, for example, driving and uh, taking the train. So is it okay if I, you know, not that they're a rival club, but they're in the same league and stuff. And I was like, can I coach their youth team? And uh, you know, obviously the club, <laughs> we went through the paperwork and talked to the people high up in the club and sat down with them. And I said, I'm not transferring. I'm going to play for your club. I'm just going to be coaching their youth to, uh, cause I want to coach. I need a coach. Like this is what I love to do. And anyways, the clubs came to the agreements, everyone shook hands and it worked out. So I got to coach the, uh, youth age groups in volleyball club Bel Air where I was living. And then I got to play for Chef de Kirsch. So uh, kind of a weird situation. I don't think it's very uh, normal over there, but uh, it worked out. Both clubs were amazing and so kind to me. Uh, I have nothing but good things to say, but but it was an experience coaching them. I don't know if you know, but like in Europe, a lot of the coaching scene is different. And even in America now, I'm finding it more different as well. But like the teams I was coaching, they played four against four and it was mixed. It was boys and girls. So I'm coaching youth teams and they run their youth uh, system. different. It's like uh, in Poland. In Austria, we did the same when I was coaching. It's four against four at, uh, it's called the scholar age group. It would be about, I think, 14U, 15U. And then younger than that is three against three. And then younger than that's two against two. So the way we run Canada, like the triple ball, for example, is one of the systems we run back home. They're running basically beach on an indoor court, which I love it was amazing there was no specialization they just all became better volleyball players and it was quite a quite an experience i absolutely loved my time in uh, luxembourg and austria coaching because it opened my eyes to why do we coach how do we coach and it made me ask a lot of questions uh, which helped 
Yeah, let, let's go there because again, uh, when we had Nick Hogan on the show, he mentioned uh, with his father Glenn coaching overseas, like he spent a lot of time of his youth sports in France, and he mentioned the one thing he noticed is they, yeah, they weren't playing six on six, and they weren't doing a lot of catch and toss either. So when you say it's three on three or four on four, are they doing volleyball skills the whole time? Yeah, yeah. So they're playing like full bump set spike, and then uh, like the team I was coaching was the four on four team, and. So you're just, you know, you're in a diamond, one person back row, three people front row, and that's the way it works. And you can start to, it's not even specialization, right? Because if you're at the front, you're kind of <laughs> the go-to setter because uh, that's what you do. And the court is like, they make it adjusted to the level. So it's like, you know, a cup, a meter or whatever in, a meter smaller. I don't know the exact dimensions, but it's something that's more realistic for the athletes. Cause you know, right now I'm coaching a, a 12s boys team and an 11s girls team. And you play the six on six on the big court. And there's this cool coaching video that shows if we were to make uh, our volleyball court to scale for like a six foot seven guy like me and uh, other, you know, the national team guys, and they put it to scale of what it's like for a 10 year old to play, try and play six on six. And it's like, the net, like they can walk under the net. So the net just goes so high. All these like, you know, big pro guys can't even hit on it. And then they get like this massive beach ball, right? In the sense of like compare to them. Cause that's what it's like for those athletes to play with. And if you think of it like this, it's, uh, it's pretty crazy that we think, you know, oh, this little kid, they can play six on six. They're fine. But like, if you just shrink it down a little bit and, you know, use that lighter ball, et cetera, then they're playing something closer to, we know as volleyball, even though, you look at it and you're like, that's not, that's not volleyball. Where's the, you know, setter coming from the back and then the middle coming in and, and you can't hide that tall kid. The tall kid has to pass like, and it's great because then everyone's more skilled. And I, I don't know what Nick Hogue would say, but like, I think he would attest like overall, there are more skilled players. And I think it uh, goes to show that youth system is pretty great. Yeah. Like eight people sharing one ball versus 12 people sharing a ball and I mean triple ball had to be invented because uh it, it was for the longest time it was a serving game whether the kid would get an ace miss or or somebody would shank it right so it very very interesting and I, I love those videos I'll have to look that one up I remember when we LAT or excuse me um LTAD I was first learning about it USA Hockey did the scale of what it was like for adults to play hockey but they built this ginormous outdoor rink and it was just funny seeing adults just like chasing the puck around because uh, again when you think of the adult game and the dimensions if you scale that to a child how blown up that is right but you don't really see it so you have to experience it and yeah there's some great videos online i'll have to look that up but uh tell me though were you there long enough because you were in luxembourg for two years i believe when they do transfer to six on six is there a learning curve is there a spike when they have to learn positions like at what ages like is there is there any flaw to this or is anybody listening being like man like 12s should be playing four on four because they get more touches and they they get to love volleyball and it's not as boring and standing around and all that good stuff right I think from, I guess, like, I always try to find the flaws, too, because I'm coming from Canadian system, so I'm like, our system's better. Like, it must <laughs> be, right? But then uh, I think the biggest one was that, like, maybe the higher level or more mature athletes that can handle it, it's still good for them to do the six-on-six because six, they're just going to be ahead of the learning curve of understanding maybe systems. But I think we just always have to ask questions like, what do we want them to learn? Do we want them to learn how to be better at all the skills and a volleyball player or do we want them to understand systems as much and maybe that's just coaching philosophy which one you prefer like okay i have a system as a coach this is what it's better to teach that at a younger age 
But if you're just looking for volleyball players and I guess reward of kids having fun because you want kids to stay in the sport instead of just being like, I just stand in the corner and my coach, you know, barrows me out and all like whatever, like all this kind of stuff. It's not that much fun. Then I think that European youth system is pretty great because they're all doing everything. They get more touches. There's, you know, you can, <laughs> you can put two courts on the same court in the, uh, that case. So you can get more people playing, more people touching the ball. So there are the benefits, but I can definitely see some of the, you know, negatives. There are some like pros to having the six on six because they're going to understand the end outcome game faster. But is that the goal? Like, or is the goal to keep these athletes in the sport? So, it, you know, I feel like as coaches or you know, even players, you can debate that for a while, but it depends what your, what is the goal, I guess. Nice, nice. And then just to jump around a little bit more. So you, you retire and you come back home and you end up getting a coaching opportunity and you become a, a member of the staff at Trent University. And I'm curious, just learning and hearing about your career, uh, about goal setting and stuff like that. Don't get me wrong, the, the Trent guys are awesome. But if that team were to come out of a meeting and say gold or nothing, I just think that's a very lofty goal. And that's not going to define their experience. And that's not a slight of them. That's just where the program is in time right now. And that's just they, they don't have if their goal was to win a national championship and you look at their roster versus Trinity, you kind of go, I don't know if that's that's an expectation. <laughs> so I don't mean that as a knock. But when you do have a meeting with those guys, how are you guys defining success? How are you having goals? Like what, what are those meetings like just to keep things like I know athletes, we want to compete. It is a win or lose situation, but you can define success in other ways. So I'm curious how you were doing it to Trent so they could still have a positive experience while still competing and uh, trying to achieve a gold medal. But if it didn't happen, you know, we still earned this, this, and this, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think you just have to find the little wins. And I think that with a championship team or not, like you have to find those things because you're well, not many people go undefeated every year of their career. Right. So you have to find the wins and losses. And I think that's one of, I guess, as a coach, that's one of our biggest skills, right? Is able to like learn from your failures. Cause when you can do that, you're unstoppable. Um, but in the sense of the Trent guys, for example, like I chose to go to Trent because they had never won a game in the OUA. And I was really like, I love underdog. Like I absolutely love it. So to go there in my mind, it felt like the, that's the biggest underdog you possibly get. They've been playing the league for like three years and have never won a game. Amazing. Let's go. Uh, and when I got there, I was actually surprised at the, I hadn't been following the OUA that closely when I was overseas. I was focused on the overseas leagues as well. And, and then I see the talents in the gym. I'm like, you guys are good. Like, what the, like, you got some athletic middles. You got outsides that crush the ball. The, you know, there's some, there's some skill here. Like, why aren't, and you just realize how big that mental game is. And so when you, you know, the perpetuation of losing uh, was permeated in that culture. And so, you know, and they were improving, but we set little goals. Like, for example, like one of the goals was like in a game, like they had teams, I guess, in the previous years, like they start their bench against them or, you know, they put the starters on and then just start subbing in the bench guys. And I was like, that's the most hurtful thing in the world when a team thinks they can do that. Like you need to either a make their starters come on and make that the goal or B never let their starters leave the court. Like that's, this is how you get a little bit of respect. Like you can't be the team that has that happen. And the boys, they did a great job of buying into that. Right. Cause then that was kind of the, the moral victories, I guess, where it was like, Hey, like, 
you know, they came in thinking we weren't going to be that easy, but then they had to sub everyone in and we were taking sets off and, uh, you know, you, you scared them in a sense. And that I guess is something you can do as a coach to push them. Uh, you don't want them to be able to put, cause when you're on the other side of it as a coach, you're like, Hey, starters, like crush this game. Let's get the bench in. So they, the rookies or whatever in, so we can get some reps. And that's good motivation. I remember when we were doing that at Queens, for example, uh, you know, get the score up and that's your motivation to try and get them in. But being on the receiving end, you are just thinking the exact opposite, right? It's like, no, those rookies are not coming on. We're going to scare them and we're going to take them and then they're going to regret it because we're going to get the W. And uh, they did a good job there. But then you also, goal-wise, uh, like we made uh, Uva uh, Dienst was uh, the head coach as well. And he's from uh, Germany. So he had, he was a great, great, great coach. Now he's coaching professionally over there. and we we made like a I guess a five year plan, right? And I think that allows them to see the big picture because as athletes, you know, we go we're telling them, you know, it's one point at a time. That's all you're focused on. Don't focus on, you know, bigger than that. But then we're also like, okay, but this is not gonna be done today at today's practice. Like it's a process, especially with a young squad like that. Um, you have to be like, hey, if you're in first year and you're playing against a bunch of fourth and fifth years. You know, the math says they got a good chance beating it because they put in the work. So you guys are putting in the work so that when you become those fourth and fifth years, you get to look at a team that's maybe younger or your own age group that uh, you can crush. And I think that allows them to have the motivation day in, day out, even if you pack on the losses. Nice. Nice. Well said. So with your next journey in coaching here, you've landed at Academy Volleyball Club. So how did that come together and how are you liking it so far? Yeah, well, to the second part, loving it. Life here is awesome. But yeah, how did I get here? Uh, I was, again, I was finishing up my second degree at Trent and coaching the men's team as co-head coach. And my agent and, uh, in January of 2021 um, basically just sends me an email being like, hey, there's this coaching opportunity. I know you're interested because I was still on with him as a coaching recruit. and he tells me I've made the short list for the Academy Volleyball Club. And at that time, I'm with my uh, girlfriend and we kind of were, you know, planning life. And uh, I'm like, God, ah, it's California. I'm just I'm like, I'll go to the interview. But like, it's nothing's going to happen. I'm, like, uh, I'm not serious about it. It's all good. And <laughs> go to the interview. Uh, goes really, really well. <laughs> Call her immediately after saying, uh, I think I like it. I think I want to try it. Like I didn't hear any red flags. I was expecting a couple of red flags because it sounds too good to be true. Yet it is. Uh, we have to have a serious talk. And then uh, I guess to skip ahead, it all worked out. He's as good. I'm here now. And yeah, I get to coach club volleyball for a living full time in California, which uh, if you told me that was going to happen a uh, you know, year or two ago, I would have been like, <laughs> Because uh, it's just a different system in Canada too, right? Like it's coming from uh, you know in Ontario, and like I obviously club volleyball is amazing. I love it. I've been coaching at some form or level since I was 16. It's amazing, and now to get to do it full time as a uh, career in California is it's just surreal. Like I'm pinching my like I feel like I'm I'm just so blessed because I was saying that the whole time I was playing pro. 
like the whole time I'm playing pro, you know, you have a fan of, you know, your fans are all in the stands, like you know, cheering and, you know, you're just like, you know, fire's going and you got all this fun stuff getting you hyped up for the game. And you're like, wow, I'm literally just playing the sport. I, you know, was playing in elementary school that I wasn't that great at. People are paying to come watch. And now it's just a whole nother level of exciting because like, I'm just looking at all these athletes, just seeing like a little bit of myself and all of them. I'm like, Oh my goodness. Like forgetting like at young age, we're figuring out how to play volleyball at a higher level and allowing you to fulfill that long-term athlete development. And you know, some, not that they all have to go pro or anything, but they're all going to fall in love with the sport that has given me so much. It's hard not to get excited to go every day to work. I'm just fired up. Cause I'm like, this is like, Oh, it's just so exciting. Uh, I'm really blessed. And then besides the point, like, for example, my wife's birthday was uh, a few days ago and we go to the Golden Gate Bridge, which is, you know, up the highway from us. And like, it's just, well, I was talking, doing a, a conversation with a elementary school about volleyball, doing a little guest speaking for them. And uh, they're up in Thunder Bay and it's, you know, minus 10 or whatever it was. And I'm looking outside, it's plus 20 and sunny and <laughs> Life's, life's, life's pretty good. Life's pretty good. Let's just put it that way. Awesome, man. Awesome. And you and I got a chance to coach together. And I love what you're doing with uh, Coach Shearhorn and everything you're doing with content creation and what you're putting out there. And uh, uh, I know I promised you an hour, but I do have a couple more questions if you got time. But uh, the, the one I was really interested in is yep. your coaching philosophy and the how you live it. I'm curious, how did you come up with the, the pillars you've decided on? Because it sounds like you're super consistent. But what I really love about it is it's it's genuine to you and your personality and what you love about the sport. But uh, I think sometimes a coaching philosophy is just something we, we have to do in a coaching course or we hear other people have one. So we think we need one. But for you to create one and then live it, like what was the the start to end? What was your process for that? Yeah, when I like started, I guess, creating the Coach Earhorn, I guess, brand, uh, I got to sit down for a while and just think like, what is it? And really reflect on my own career, my own playing, go back to that 13 year old boy that was like, why'd you start playing? Like, why, why are we here now? And I guess not to get too deep, but like that whole philosophy is what I'm trying to instill in all these athletes. So it's like, and also maybe some of the things I didn't get when I was younger and like would have wanted. And I think the combination of those two things and seeing what works and I, I love learning. Like, I just love, like I am on, coaching forums and stuff feels like all day every day just like okay what's everyone debating these days okay why are they like let's understand it but when it comes to my philosophy it's outside of the court i think before inside the court and my biggest thing is confidence so if i had to describe it in one word it's like okay successful teams or successful people are confident people and i was lucky that i don't know <laughs> genetically or whatever great parenting whatever it is but i was just born with uh, a good level of confidence so my it feels like you know a purpose of mine is like how do i instill confidence in others because i know like for example i got this 11 year old boy that uh, you know a little bit scared that he wants to jump serve and you just have as a coach your job is to instill the confidence in them that they can do it like you give them some tools but they can't you believe in them and when you have that all the tactical and technical and all those other aspects they come together and you do need them but Building that confidence is the most important and not to get too, I guess, wordy, but confidence to me is 
you break it down into two parts, self-esteem and self-efficacy. And if you have self-esteem, which, you know, big buzzword these days, like that's your self-worth. That's what, how you believe in yourself. You know, you look in the mirror, you're like, you're awesome. That's your self, uh, uh, sorry, self-esteem. And you need that as part of your, to be better at volleyball. And the other part is self-efficacy, your belief in the ability to do a task. And so that's like, you know, when you're serving uh, in a practice and stuff, you see yourself serve, you see a successful serve and you continue doing it and working and honing it. And you believe that you can do it so that when you get to those pressure moments, you feel that kind of pressure in a game or whatever, it's going to lead to success because you're confident both in who you are and your ability to do the task. And then that's the level of confidence. And I think as coaches, we can instill that. And again, it's every coach is different. So they might have something as their pillar or whatever. But for me, that's the biggest one because athletes need that. They need to have someone in their corner that believes in them and they're way more likely to achieve success. So I guess if I had to, you know, put that into some simple words, it would just be confidence. That's what it is. That that's so cool, man. That's so cool to to hear this and your explanation. And uh, for for a practical example, like if you believe you, you can claim genetics, but I think there's some skill behind it. I think it's a skill. So so if you agree with me that you think it's a skill that can be trained, what's an example of you building confidence in practice? Is it just catching the athlete doing it right, or how are you finding these opportunities to connect with them? Like in your gym, how are you training the skill of confidence? Well, I think you, you can break it down to the smallest component. For example, like um, I'm teaching overhand serving for a bunch of grade seven, grade eight girls at a community center. And obviously at that age group and the level they are, they are overwhelmed with the concept of overhand serving. So overhand serving is like, yikes. So we, you know, I put a mat up against the wall. There's mats on the wall. And this is after I do my example of, uh, hey ladies, can I have one of you come up for a second? I'm like, do you know how to do a high five? And they're like, yeah, I know how to do a high five. I can high five. Of course I can. You know, sassy grade seven. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Okay, high five. Now you have to high five a tall person. So I hold my hand, you know, at their highest reach. I'm like, okay, well, high five me a little harder. Come on. Like, I'm your best friend. And they keep high fiving. And I'm like, oh my goodness, you're one of the best servers I've ever seen. And they're like, what? I'm like, that's all, that's all overhand service. Like if you break it down, it's just a high five, a tall person. And then all of a sudden it's clicking in their brain. They're like, what? Oh my God. Like, let, and then I say, Here, here's a ball. Just copy me. All I'm going to do is high five it. And then they go and they high five it. And like, you're standing at the 10 foot line. It goes over the net and they're just like, I did it. I, I can overhand serve. And once that starts clicking for them, then you're like, and then you start like, you know, they serve a couple times over. You're like, what are you doing? You're way too good for the 10 foot line or the three meter line. Move back, like take a step back. And then they, you know, start stepping back. And all of a sudden now your athletes are just fired up because they're like, oh, hey, yeah, I do do this. This is my, this is my thing. And their self-efficacy has been built because they've achieved it uh, within a drill. And I think as, you know, coaches, we often see the mistake and we just start, you know, critiquing of what's going on. But instead, like make it, easy enough that they have the success like what whatever that is and then start you know moving backwards from there and that's once they have a foundation of confidence <laughs> then they're just gonna they start asking for jump serving the next week and then they're <laughs> like okay well i think i think i'm good and then they're like okay perfect let's why not let's try it let's have some fun with it and then uh yeah athletes oh they're just so much fun to work with once you get that ball rolling of confidence 
you must be feeling right at home in the USA system, as you called it, the 10-foot line instead of the attack line. And I know she switched it to three-meter there for our Canadian listeners. That you, you must be feeling at home with the, the regional dialect that I think is, is unique in our sport sometimes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's actually crazy. Like, the, like, sometimes I have them looking at me. And, you know, sometimes I say strange things as a coach. But I say some stuff and I'm like, why are you all looking at Like, for example, like, I was just talking about offensive system. And, you know, I say, like, I don't know, like, I'll say a 51 or 30 and i'm having everyone's looking at me like i'm some crazy person i'm like oh my goodness i have to learn a whole nother set of dialogue <laughs> like i just did this overseas i had to learn new languages to coach and i had to i'm like i thought coming down to america we could do some simple stuff come on but uh <laughs> nope turns out i say three meter line everyone looks at me like i'm crazy i'm like oh let's get out of here you guys understand three meters no and they're like what's 10 foot line fine we'll use that <laughs> there it's uh what a process of coaching yeah if you coach in the same spot all the time you never really have to think about all those things but it makes you a better coach to always think about because then i have to explain to them like okay why do you call it that and they think i don't know we just call it that it's like well there must be a reason and then they start breaking down their sport understanding it at a whole nother cerebral level and uh that's just fun it's just fun to work together nice nice well it's been great uh hearing about your career both as a player and just getting an update of uh, how excited you are and everything you've got going there at the academy volleyball club but uh one tradition we've made on the show is just to end every episode with a funny or unique story because i think the, the volleyball community is awesome and it is a high performance sport but man something odd or funny just seems to happen to all of us because that's how great our community is so i was hoping you could give us just a, a quick laugh before we let you go yeah uh well the first thing that always uh, comes to mind when I try and think of you know some type of funny story or whatever is uh, like my brother and I like we're best friends. Uh, Blake he played super high level. He played in Poland and France and Germany, but uh, we didn't start out that way. And we we were playing beach. I think this would have been I would have been seventeen u. He would have been fifteen u. So pretty young. Um, and we're going to a tournament in Kingston. And we're partners. We're brushing up. I just played Team Ontario for indoor that summer, and uh, we didn't get many practices together. And we we're going to nationals, and we're trying to get some type of reps in. So we're driving to Kingston. But and I tell him, okay, you know, at uh, five o'clock, we're leaving. Like we have to be in the car leaving because I like arriving early to things. I love preparation. I like the warm up and all that stuff and to be on time. And uh, you know, Blake's uh, he's a little uh, too cool for school, so. He shows up at like 5.05 and we still need to pick up like some dinner. So there's subway down the street. So I'm already like fuming at him. Like, Blake, we're going to be like, we're late. And uh, so I'm filling up on gas and I'm telling Blake, I'm like, just get me whatever sub. Just don't put any like, and he's like, what do you want? What do you want? And I'm like, just literally anything. Just as long as you don't put hot sauce on, I'm good. Like, just don't make it hot. And then uh, Blake's like, okay, okay, okay. And runs inside. And uh, so I'm just fuming, filling the gas up. And, we get in the car, open it up. Anyways, I end up taking, uh, I'm flustered. So I take the wrong ramp onto the 401. So I'm going the wrong direction on the highway. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And there's no you know, off ramp. It's not like we're in Toronto. We're in the country. So there's not one for like 15, 20 minutes. And I'm like, oh my goodness. I just added 40 minutes onto our trip. I'm like, Blake, just give me my sub. And I like, take the sub open it up, take a bite, and I taste hot sauce. 
<laughs> and so my brother, my brother's ready to chuckle beside me, but I'm, he's realized, and he's told this story. He actually said it at my wedding in his uh, best man speech, but he's like, at that moment, I realized I had made a grave mistake, an absolute <laughs> grave mistake. I was so mad. And like people who know me, they know I'm like pretty positive, like a nice guy. I don't, uh, don't get angry too often, but I threw that sub at him in the car. <laughs> As hard as I could, chucked it at him, and uh, he just sat in silence. And he tells me later on that he only put, uh, or you know, not not that evening, but later on, he says I only put one like one dollop. I asked the lady just to put one little part at the first bite, and uh, so we're driving for about ten minutes, and all of a sudden he starts. Picking it up slowly, finished his sub, and starts putting it back together. And then he <laughs> finishes putting it back together and takes a bite. And I'm like, heck no! <laughs> Grab the sub, start eating it again. And, and anyways, we're brothers. We end up uh, getting to the tournament. We both say our, you know, little, that's in the past. Let's go win this tournament. And uh, we had fun. We won the tournament. And... Anyways, but yeah, I hadn't got that mad or whatever, but good uh, good learning experience to control your emotions <laughs> right before a tournament. And uh, if anyone, any listeners think Blake and I are just best friends, uh, or I think any sibling can relate to that story, that sometimes they just get on your nerves. And uh, it's not a perfect world, but it's a funny story. So. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that one. Yeah, we'll have to get Blake on the show so he can explain his side. But that's that's one of the better ones we've heard on the show. The brothers can just press buttons a little bit faster than I think friends or teammates can, for sure. Yeah, for sure. But it was all good. It was like, And those are some of my favorite memories. Like He brings it up, like, uh, you know, those moments that we were together, just the two of us for volleyball. Like, it, uh, We got a pretty special experience, but again, not all highs, I guess. Well, man, this is this has been great. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your story and what you're up to now. So I think your your account's pretty simple. It's just Coach Shearhorn. I'll put it in the show notes. But uh, you definitely post some funny stuff. You post some motivational stuff. I, I think it's definitely a great follow. So hopefully our dozens and dozens of listeners give you a follow so we can uh, keep track of what you're doing. And uh, I feel like we didn't dive into enough coaching theory or some practical stuff. So, you know, now that we've covered the playing stuff, maybe next time we get you on, we can just take a dive down the rabbit hole of coaching. But uh, I think we're good for today. So thanks for joining and sharing all that you did awesome thank you so much i really appreciate it this is uh this is awesome anytime to talk about volleyball with a friend like you is awesome so thank you so much